one pitch, swing and a drive, deep to right field, way up there, way out of here, goodbye baseball. Eight strikeouts the- for the King tonight and make it 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Phoenix. Strike three called on the outside corner and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. All right, we're getting closer and closer. Those beautiful words, pitchers and catchers. It is just right around the corner, just a handful of days away. Thanks for being here once again, the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. It was moving day, so that means we're really getting close. We're going to celebrate moving day in just a second, give you some tidbits on what moving day is all about as the equipment on its way to Arizona right now. Also coming up, conversation with John Gibson. John's been on before. He's fantastic. He covers baseball in Japan. So we're going to talk about the Mariners' newest signee, also a couple of former Mariners playing in Japan. We'll check in on them. And a couple of very interesting items. One player in particular that he mentions that I have found totally fascinating we'll talk about that a little bit coming up also a conversation that i think is spectacular with kind of a local sports legend you may know the name johnny o'brien who played at seattle university played basketball and baseball there and he shares some pretty funny baseball stories including anytime somebody has firsthand stories about branch ricky and hank aaron well, that's certainly podcast worthy. So Johnny O'Brien comes up talking a little baseball as well. So this is pretty good. Pretty good podcast as we get closer to spring training and pitchers and catchers reporting. So with that, it was moving day, all the equipment moving down. Last year at, on moving day, I put together a piece about moving day, and it's still relevant here. I never, I don't think I ever played it on the podcast last year, so this will be the first time that it, that it gets played. So the day is a little different, but other than that, all the information is the same. I think it's pretty interesting as we get to hear from the man that puts it all together and makes the move happen. So here it is, our celebration of moving day. The gray clouds continue to hang overhead and Pacific Northwesterners wade through the puddles and slog through the winter squalls. But today, the first sign of spring. It was moving day for the Seattle Mariners. One giant and fully loaded truck ready to head to the 39th Mariners spring training. 1,506 miles, two stops, one in Medford, Oregon, one in Bakersfield, California, before arriving Thursday afternoon in Peoria. It's a whole winter uh, process that we started, you know, pretty much back in October. Um, but the last couple of weeks have been, you know, we've been going at it pretty good Monday through Friday. So uh, a lot of the labor is done today, and that truck will head out this afternoon and sit anywhere from 35 to 40,000 pounds of, of uh, equipment. It's a 53-foot trailer, um, and we fill it all the way to the end. On the road again. 
That's Mariners clubhouse manager Ryan Stiles. So the question is, what do they bring? Everything. Equipment, training supplies, uh, strength and conditioning uh, supplies, uh, uniforms, bags, bats, just all the things uh, that we use uh, during the regular season pretty much. We just try to condense them as much as we can into either trunks or bags and you know, and then we'll get down there and disperse them out for everybody. So what about All-Stars and Cy Young Award winners? Those guys are on their own. <laughs> strike three called, and there is strikeout number eight. Felix Hernandez strikes out Nick Swisher looking at strike three. Looking up, and this is gone. Opposite field homer by Robinson Cano. Arizona, Arizona, Arizona. Well, the planning for me is basically uh, what items um, do I need here? What items do I need down there? Um, A lot of the stuff we will um, just have sent straight to Peoria. So it saves us um, some time and labor having to mess with it up here. We know we're just going to use them in spring training and we're done. And then obviously the stuff uh, for the regular season will get sent here um, while we're in spring training. So it's, it's, it's a fairly easy process. It's just a lot of, uh, you know, labor that's involved in it. But uh, the planning's pretty much the same every year. Same items, um, you know, go, same items, stay. The massive truck is loaded. As the journey begins south and pitchers and catchers end spring. Just around the corner. Play ball! So the equipment is on the way, and that means we're getting very, very close to pitchers and catchers reporting. And when position players report, I think there's going to be a very interesting battle for the backup first baseman, the right side of the platoon that we'll talk about more coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks, and that will certainly be a focus of spring training. I think it's going to be a fascinating battle. And we're going to talk about one of the newest entrants to that battle with the help of John Gibson. Again, John Gibson, fantastic. We check in with him from time to time and really has his finger on the pulse of Japanese baseball and gives us some great insight. There's always a fascinating tidbit or two that comes from the conversations with John. And there's a piece that I'm going to follow up on after the conversation, after the conversation here, that I am totally into and a player that I'll be watching for some time. So here it is. Well, as you know, the Seattle Mariners just signed all a new first base, and we'll see how he fits into the mix, Dayho Lee. And to talk about that and much more, we welcome back John Gibson. John, welcome back. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate the time. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show again. Now, John, you write in Japan. Tell people the, the best way to get to your stuff, because it's fantastic. Uh, well, I write for uh, One World Sports. Uh, I do a blog post for them, maybe about three or four blog posts a week, and that's at OneWorldSports.com. And then my newspaper that I work for is called the Japan News, 
and you can search for that. And I just do a lot of translations for them. I don't write so much anymore. But once in a while, I'll get a story in there. But uh, we have a lot of information about Japanese baseball on that site, too, and that's thejapannews.com. So how long have you been covering baseball in Japan? Gosh, I started covering the Dragons in 1995, way back in the old days. Uh, <laughs> and it was for a paper that I had started in Nagoya, an English newspaper. So I would just cover them. And it was a we were bi-weekly, so I would go out to a few games, maybe a week, and then I'd kind of wrap things up and say, basically, this is how the Dragons have been doing these past two weeks, and that's the kind of coverage I did. But I was able to go to the games and talk to the guys, so that was fun. And then I started this job in 2005 in Tokyo and started covering all the all the teams, not just the Central League and not just the Dragons. And that has been a very big eye-opener for me, and it's taught me a lot. It's, learned, it's helped me learn exactly how to cover the whole league, uh, not just one league. And, and actually, you know, people call it the one league, but it's, it's Japan pro baseball and there are two leagues. So covering the entire, the entire spectrum has been really good, very, very eye-opening for me. How much you've enjoyed living in Japan and covering baseball? Um, you know, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed it. It, it. First, learning the language, getting over the language hump was the big was the thing. But once you do that and you learn about the players and each story, uh, you know, it, it's just fun. So I, I can't tell you how much fun it is. I mean, every day, it's not like when you're doing something in, in English or the language that you know, because every day you learn something along with uh, learning about baseball, you learn something about the language and the culture. So uh, it's a two-pronged learning attack that you go through that, that it's, it, I can't tell you how enriching it is and how rewarding it is because it's not just baseball lingo that you learn. So it's really fun. It's really fun. Well, I feel fortunate that uh, you give us your time, and uh, it's fun to talk to you, especially uh, about Japanese baseball and uh, kind of lean on your expertise here. And, and we get to talk to you about someone the Mariners just signed, a first baseman, Deho Lee, Korean-born, but he's played the, played the past four seasons in Japan. What do you know about Lee? Well, uh, yeah, I can tell you what I've seen and what I've heard from other players. He's, he's a, you know, when he first came to Japan, I said, wow, this kid is really big. Uh, he was a big guy. He's 6'4". He's, he's uh, close to, well, he was listed earlier at 286 or 85 pounds, so he's not, he's not fleet of foot, but the first thing I noticed about him was he wasn't afraid to run for the extra base. And I said, well, <laughs> maybe he thinks he's a Porsche, but he's, he's a bus. You know? <laughs> um, and uh, from some of the other players, like a player who played with him early on said he can really hit. You know, he's a really good hitter, really good hands. Um, but I, you know, obviously he's hit, he's hit fairly well over here. But I had one pitcher tell me, well, he sits on pitches. He, he tends to look for certain pitches, and when he gets them, he really you know, can drive them. But when he doesn't get them, he ends up looking bad or not making very good contact. And so he, he's had some success here, but not probably not as much as he anticipated and probably not as much when you look at, uh, at, a, at some of the guys who have gone to the States. Mm -hmm. Maybe expectations might be a little bit higher but he's a 293 hitter in japan so i don't know what that projects to in the states probably a little bit different but then again in the states you know this is the thing you always hear from american and, and latin players who come over from maybe major league baseball or, or even some of the mexican leagues and stuff like that is that you tend to get more fastball counts in the states and that's you don't get that here in japan you get guys throwing you any pitch in any count so if he knows a fastball is coming, that might make him a better hitter. 
in the, in the state is because he might be able to sit on the uh, sit on the pitches the way a pitcher has already told me that he does. He he only has to guess location, and uh, he might he might become a better hitter in the state. You never know. It's pretty interesting too. You shared me uh, with me some information about because it looks like here he'll get the majority of at bats if he makes the team against lefties and. When you take a look at the splits, it gets pretty interesting. 400 hitter against lefties last season with seven home runs, and he showed some pop last year as well. 31 home runs. Yeah, you you uh, you have to put all that in context. I think you know sometimes you're you're talking about the the fact that they don't let some of the bad or not just say bad. They don't let guys with bad splits, uh, left-handed pitchers with bad splits pitch hit face him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fact that he hit 400 is probably a little bit more impressive than it looks. But then again, if he, I, I don't have the breakdown of where he hit his his 400. Maybe he didn't he, he didn't hit them in pitcher friendly parks. Maybe he hit them in hitter friendly parks. So I don't know about the breakdown there. But 400 isn't bad, and I figure Cruz is going to get the majority of bats uh, for the DH. And I I really don't see Lee Daho playing defense in the in the major leagues. But maybe they'll put him out there. I just I don't see it. Okay. You know, it's interesting. There's been uh, a couple of ex-Mariners that have certainly made some waves in Japan. Vladimir Valentin being one of them. He had the monster year a couple of years ago, bashed all those home runs. How are, how are things going for him right now? Yeah, he has had some injuries. He had the 60 home run season, broke Sadaharu O's all-time single season home run record, which had been 55. And I can't say that he... His, the mental approach changed or his motivation changed because I think he came back with the same eagerness to prove him, you know, prove it wasn't a fluke. And he did have a 31 home run season and he had won the home run title the past two seasons, 2011 and 12 with 31 home runs. So that's, that's not chopped liver we're talking about. Mm-hmm. He still had a really good season and he hit 301 and that was in 2014. However, he just has dealt with injuries the whole time. Uh, lower body injuries, not so much the upper body injuries with shoulders and all that stuff, but who knows? Um, there have just been so many. And for a guy who, you know, is 30-something, uh, those injuries start to pile up. He's an outfielder, and that's all he's been dealing with. If he is healthy, he's going to produce. So uh, he, uh, as long as he's healthy, I think he's going to be productive. And I would predict he'll be, he'll be back in the 30s uh, with his home runs. He only had one last season, and he only played – in 15 games, so that gives you an idea how how much the injuries affected or impacted his season last year. How big of a star is he in Japan right now? You know, you would think a guy who broke a, a, a legendary player's record like that would be making all the commercials, and he did make, I think he had one commercial, but he has not been uh, that new face of the team, and he has not been the, the face of home runs in Japan. Uh, I think he could have been a, a bigger star. It's just you know, and he speaks like four or five languages. He's he's very talented uh, with with the language part of it. So I think if he wanted to, and if he had the right marketing, he could be a bigger star off the field uh, as well, bigger than he is. But he he hasn't been that. And I think it's it's consistency. I think you know, thirty in the thirty home run range is good, but. Uh, from a big power hitter like that who's broken a, a, a legend's record, I think people are expecting more. And if he delivers a big season this year, he could take off again. But, of course, age is the factor. It's the big thing. And, you know, you're not going to get – you're going to start to get better and hit more when you're older, unless you're Barry Bonds. <laughs> yeah, right, right. 
Another former Mariner, <laughs> Jose Lopez, has now spent a few years in Japan. How is he doing now? Uh, I think he had a very, uh, I don't know, I, it, his first season with the, the Omiri Giants, I think, was okay. And then the second season, I think, was very frustrating for him because he, at times, he would come to the ballpark expecting to play, expecting to start, and then find his name off the starting lineup and come in as a pinch hitter. And I think he was ready to leave the, the Giants, and I think the Giants were ready to get rid of him. Uh, for the 2015 season, and he joined Yokohama. Um, so he played with DNA last season, played in 140 games. He basically knew when he came to the park, he'd be in the lineup, he was going to be playing. He played really well at first base, or you know, fairly well at first base. I think he actually came to Japan as, as he touted, a uh, highly touted second baseman. <laughs> yeah. uh, so they thought was going to play second base for him, and they put him at first, and he's been at first, which is fine. I think he's, he's really good at first base, and it allows him to be a corner you know, hit like a corner infielder and, and, and hit in the middle of the lineup. And he hit 291 last year, um, you know, had enough power with 25 home runs, which was his most. And he, that's the most he's hit since coming to Japan. He had 18 the first year and 22 the second season. But he's playing in a hitter-friendly park where the ball just kind of flies out. If you pop it up some in some places near the corners, it just kind of floats out of the stadium. So. You would think he he would have his biggest offensive output, and that's not really what happened last season. And his team finished in last place again. And his team annually, <laughs> I always, I used to joke that their their reserve seat is in the as a, in the basement of the Central League. <laughs> uh, I think they finished like since 2002, they finished 10 times in last place. Well, camps have opened up, and the season's a few weeks away. Any storylines you're following? Not in particular. I'm trying to follow everything. You know, uh, there's no the, the one thing that I note is that each year there's some uh, media darling rookie uh, who comes out and the media just is glued to him and to his every move, whether he's going to make the team or not. And uh, this year there's a uh, a kid who's half Japanese and half Nigerian, and his name is Louis Okoye. And I don't think he's going to actually make the team. He's, he's, in my eyes, he's still kind of a project, really raw, very athletic kid, can run, can swing the bat really hard, can generate a lot of bat speed. Um, but as for his hitting profile, I don't, I don't see him making the first team. And it seems like the media is trying to make him the darling of the of the preseason early or of the, of the camp so far. But um, we'll have to see how that goes. And. You know, we've got Daisuke Matsuzaka, who's coming off a of shoulder surgery, and he's trying to make a comeback in terms of, uh, uh, you know, he really hasn't been the same since he had that Tommy John surgery when he was in the States. Uh, he, I think he was with Cleveland briefly and then went to the New York Mets, and they used him out of the bullpen, and then he came to Japan, and he didn't pitch at all on the top team last year. He was all he was mostly farming, and I think it was August that he had shoulder surgery, so he's trying to come back off of that, and that should be interesting. But... It's kind of been uh, the, uh, the actually what's happening is um, there's a kid named Shohei Otani who is with the Nippon uh, Ham Fighters and they are they're doing their camping in Arizona in Peoria and this is a two-way player he's a, he's a batter uh, sometimes they use him as the DH and then he he gets his start he's he was their ace on the mound last year 
and won 15 games. He tied for the lead 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 in wins last year. So uh, he's camping. They're doing their camping in, in Peoria, and uh, looks like um, he's only in his fourth year. He's 21 years old. And they're trying to give uh, the the U.S. teams a, a look at him. But of course, you know, with the posting and all that stuff, um, since he's only a fourth year player, they'd have to post him. And there's a limit on how much money. I think it's 20 million dollars that the U.S. teams, the major league teams, pay for posting. So it kind of doesn't make sense in that respect because they're not going to get any extra money. I think uh, Matsuzaka, when he went to the States, garnered a, about $50 million. So uh, <laughs> it's only 20. And so, you know, there's a limit. So I don't, I don't, I don't get it, but it's, it's interesting. It's fun. And uh, I think he was doing some work with Trevor Hoffman and Trevor Hoffman is showing him a change up. It's even more devastating because he's a hard thrower in the first place. So if he gets a change up too, to go with his other pitch, he's going to going to de- develop into more of a pitcher than a thrower, and uh, he'll he'll be ready for probably ready for the United States next year. <laughs> wow. No, great stuff as always. Uh, really appreciate the time, and hopefully you you let us check in with you in the near future. Anytime, anytime. I appreciate it. Great conversation with John. I always appreciate his time and the conversation. We'll get to the player that he was just talking about in a moment because I think it's pretty interesting. But I mentioned in passing the splits from Lee, and I think it's really interesting when you look at what he did against left-handed pitching last year. Not a ton of plate appearances, 83 plate appearances, but he hit 400 against lefties last year and did it with 12 walks in 83 plate appearances. So uh, smashed seven homers and four doubles in that time. So he hit for power, he hit for average, he got on base, drew some walks. That is very impressive numbers against lefties. So that's one thing I think to keep in mind as we head to spring training is he absolutely mashed lefties last year. And you would have to think, and we'll see how it develops between first base and DH and how many at-bats there'll be between the two, but you have to think that if he does make the club, he'll face a lot of lefties, and that certainly bodes well. But, again, something to keep in mind. But the player that he was just talking about, that John was just talking about, Otani, man, is he interesting or what? So he came up in 2013 as an 18-year-old, as a pitcher and an outfielder. He played in 77 games. On the mound, he went 3-0. and with a 4-2-3 ERA in 13 games, he started 11 times, and he played 77 games. He hit 238 with three homers and 20 RBIs. I mean, a true two-way player as an 18-year-old, which is remarkable. 54 games in the outfield, 13 games as a pitcher, as an 18-year-old. Played mostly right field, but amazing. And then as a 19-year-old, so two years ago, in 2014, played 87 games. He went 11-4 and four on the mound with a 2-6-1 ERA, 24 games, 24 starts, and then hit 274 with 10 homers and 17 doubles as a 19-year-old. Last year struggled hitting as a 20-year-old, only hit 202 with five homers, but led the league in wins with 15, as John mentioned, and a 2-2-4 ERA. Through 160 and two-thirds innings. But, man, remarkable as a 20-year-old. And he mentioned you know, whether he'll be posted in the near future or not. But he's someone that uh, next time we talk to John, we'll definitely keep an eye on. 
just 20 years old. That's pretty remarkable stuff. Two-way player. And apparently Trevor Hoffman teaching him the changeup as well. So pretty interesting stuff and a great conversation. I really enjoyed that. So another great conversation, Johnny O'Brien. Now some of you know the name. Some of you may not. Johnny O'Brien played basketball and baseball at Seattle U and was a star, a national star at both. In hoops, he was the first player in college basketball history to ever score over 1,000 points, and he was so unique. He, was, <laughs> he played guard, but he was also a 5'8 center as well and averaged over 30 points a ball game. They beat the Harlem Globetrotters, Seattle U did, and he had Johnny O'Brien 43 points in the ball game, and it was really a stunning, stunning game at the time, an 84-81 win in 1952, and it was just on the heels of the Globetrotters actually beating uh, Minneapolis, who had just won the NBA championship. So it was a remarkable, <laughs> remarkable game, and Johnny O'Brien was right in the middle of it. He and his twin brother, Eddie, they played together. They were teammates. They were drafted by the Milwaukee Hawks of the NBA, but they didn't go to the NBA. They both went to Major League Baseball, where they played together with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, Johnny O'Brien played with the Pirates and the Cardinals and the Braves, but they were the fourth brother combination to play second base and shortstop on the same Major League club. Garvin and Granny Hamner. For the Phillies in 45, Frank and Milt Bowling with the Tigers in 58, and Billy and Cal Ripken Jr. with Baltimore in the 80s. And uh, But not only brothers, they were twins playing together in the same infield and playing on the same team. But the what also is interesting about that is the Pittsburgh Pirates general manager at the time was Branch Rickey. So he got to know Mr. Rickey very well. He has just... A ton of stories, and they're all fantastic. These are just a few of them. And <laughs> I love the first one. He's going to talk about a triple play they hits into. Interview is done by me and Dave Grosby. Many of you know who Dave Grosby is, former Seattle Mariners pre- and post-host and also popular radio host here in Seattle. But uh, we had a chance to sit down with Johnny O'Brien and reminisce about some of his baseball memories. Hope you enjoy. Here it is. I was with the Pittsburgh Pirates. We're playing the Milwaukee Braves, and we had runners on first and second base, nobody out. I'm batting, and we had reversible signs. And your listeners can't see this, but it was four spots on the, the uniform. And say this up in the top right was hit, on the bottom left was bunt, uh, steal, and take was the, the top left. So everything else was just window dressing. And then it would be the first or second sign after an indicator. Mm -hmm. So say the hat was the indicator, he's going like this, that's nothing. So he goes like that, hits the cap, and it's the second sign, and he goes, that's hit. Right. That was the second thing, unless there's a takeoff. Well, I go up and the third base coach does that, and it was the first sign after the indicator, which was the belt. And he did that, hit the belt, and then hit his left thigh, which was bunt. Okay. I missed the sign. Pitch came in, and I swung and fouled it off. Well, if you played the game long enough, you know when you've done, Something haven't done wrong. it right. Uh -huh. I go, oh, my God, I missed that sign. So I go like, this is sign two. The third base coach knows I missed the first sign, so he starts over. 
So I'm behind him all the way. So you're one step behind now. I'm se- when he's got me bunting, I'm hitting and vice versa. They, and count- actually, you can't fix this really, can you? No. Unless you go up and talk to him, you, you're, you're sort of stuck, right? Well, I, you know, I was so dumb, I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> and so the count goes to three and two. The runners are running. I lined the ball to Eddie Matthews. He threw it over to second base to Henry Aaron, who's playing second base, and over to Joe Adcock, triple play. Now, when you do that, the first thing you do is look and see where the manager is. Yeah, because you, you don't, don't want to s- be anywhere near him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I finally get over by the dugout, and here's Fred Haney. He's got his arms folded, and he looks at me, and he says, Kid, I find it hard to believe you have a college education. <laughs> That's all he said. <laughs> you, know, you, you don't have to yell and scream. You can just say it with few words. Well, you're if if right you're going to hit into a triple play, I mean, you might as well hit it to Eddie Matthews who throws it to yeah. Hank Aaron. Matthews to Aaron to, to Adcock. To Adcock. Wow. That's three vertical yeah, Hall of Famers sensational. right there. Uh, when I was arm saving for Pittsburgh, uh, I gave a, Henry the 87th home run of his career. Now, what does that mean, arm saving? Games lost, bring in Got somebody it. to you, save. You'll throw, it, it was me because I, I could throw hard. On a 3-1 pitch in Milwaukee, I decided to blow the ball by him. <laughs> and, and the ball was in downtown Milwaukee before he got out of the batter's box. And that's embarrassing. The guy in out of the batter's box, and the umpire's throwing you back another ball. And uh, So, anyway, uh, later I played with Henry in the locker next to him. Right. He's a marvelous fellow, I might add. Yeah. And when he tied Ruth in Cincinnati years later, I sent him a telegram. I said, Dear Henry, if it wasn't for me, you'd still be one short. <laughs> <laughs> That's sensational. But, you know, sports is a great denominator, but what people have asked me over the years, what's it take to be uh, a, a superb or a great athlete? And I think there's four things. Desire, proper attitude, proper practice, and 100% use of ability. Take those four and associate them what it takes to be a good citizen. Mm-hmm. Same thing. And they are almost the same thing, and so that's what sport does. It gives you a, a quicker chance of learning the things that it takes by winning sometimes, losing sometimes, and how those things are so to, to be a better person in your community. And that, that's why you see so many athletes start working in charity, like Jamie Boyer the yep. other night mm-hmm. at yep. the Seattle baseball thing. And you realize that athletics has done something good for you. The college has done something good for you. And now it's your turn to turn around and do something for them. Did you have a – was it a choice to go baseball? Was the NBA interested at that time? I know the NBA was a smaller deal at that Both time. Both Ed and I were drafted by the Milwaukee Hawks. Okay. That was Ben Kerner. Uh, was Bob we, Pettit there yet? Was uh, Bob, yeah, he had come from St. Louis. And okay. Pettit was there. And um, we met with Ben Kerner a couple times when we went to Milwaukee with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And then uh, the United States Army decided they wanted us. Gotcha. And it was hard to turn them down. Yeah, they kind of they kind of don't ask, do <laughs> yeah, they? So, but I might add, uh, I was a machine gunner on the security force at the Aberdeen Proving Ground, and Ed was my ammo carrier. And we never had live ammunition, so Ed would walk alongside while I'm carrying that big BAR. He was always smarter than me. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but I, I must say that the Russians never attacked when we were. <laughs> Good thing they didn't have real ammunition, right? <laughs> <laughs> strong point, strong point. All right. Uh, 
I want your favorite Branch Rickey story off the top of your head. I know you got a million of them. I'll, te- I'll tell you one, and, and I won't name the player. Okay. But Ricky had that deep voice, and he called this player in one day, and he said, I have to talk to you. And he said, uh, the best way I can describe this is you're an ironhead. <laughs> he said, there you are. You're that high. And he says, I've got you leading off to get on base for our power hitters, Kiner, Metkovich, and Abrams. And what are you doing? You're swinging at the 2-0 in the 3-1 pitch. And he said, at best, you have warning track power. And he said, but it's not your fault. Or your father's or your grandfather's. Because no one could get that stupid in three generations. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy came out and he said, I think I just had my butt chewed out. <laughs> was he the most unique character you met in your sports travels? He was, a, uh, he was one of the most moral men I ever met. He had promised his mother that he would never go to the ballpark on Sunday. Mm-hmm. He never did. It, 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 uh, we first Really? Met never did? Never, never did. did. We first met him when he was with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Right. And then he transferred over to, uh, to Pittsburgh, and that's how we wound up with the Pirates. And, uh, and Ricky, uh, Ricky was something else. He was the world's worst driver. Mm. He would drive with the yellow line there, and he'd have one tire on one side, one on the other. <laughs> and he'd be driving down the street, and he'd take Ed and I out to his house for dinner a lot. And he'd say, oh, this is a wonderful town. Everybody honks to you as they go by. (laughs) (laughs) He was Branch, and his son we called Twig. Right, right. So one day we're out there, and Twig's got Ed and I shooting bows and arrows at this target. And another Rickyism, how he spoke in parables, uh, I let one fly, and I missed the target. It lands about 10 feet from his prize bull. Here comes Branch. And he said to his son, Branch, he said, I've noticed that uh, you've got John and Edward uh, on that 13-pound bow. He said, uh, there's a chance they could strain a muscle, and that would hurt our chances. He said, so why don't we uh, retire to the front lawn for a stimulating game of croquet? (laughs) (laughs) Next thing, we're hitting those great croquet balls. I heard he was a little tight with a buck. Well... Today, the average salary, the minimum salary, is five hundred seven thousand five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. In our day, it was six thousand dollars. Right. In '55, I led the Pirates in hitting, and I got a two thousand dollar raise. And you would get a letter from Ricky, dear John. Here's your contract. Please sign in return. Have a happy holiday. Sincerely, Branch. That was the negotiation. That was it. <laughs> that was it. There was no no agent, no anything. Right. <laughs> Hey, who was the I got another story to tell do, you as long as you ask. Do it. One, pl- one player who I, again, won't name, uh, decided he was going to go head-to-head with Ricky on his salary. So we're all in spring training in Fort Myers, and this guy is going in to see Ricky. So he goes in, and Ricky says, well, nice seeing you. What are you here for? He says, I'm here for more money. You sent me a lousy contract. I had a career year last year. So Ricky said, well, let's look at the statistics. He said, you hit 244, you hit nine home runs and had 39 RBIs. He said, I will admit for you that is a career year. (laughs) (laughs) He said, but look at it from my standpoint. With your career year, we finished last. He said, I'm sure we can finish last without you. (laughs) (laughs) 
And the guy said, give me the damn pen. I'll we sign it, and Ricky said, sign legibly and watch your language. <laughs> That's right. Didn't like, didn't like profanity, right? <laughs> no, Did not speak profanity around he, him ever. He didn't at all. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. And finally, a little piece of history. So this offseason, for various projects I've been doing, I've been combing through some old highlights. And I ran into this one that I just find very entertaining and very funny involving Reggie Jackson. Here it is. Enjoy. Well, Reggie is standing in. Downing is out at second base. Two outs, two strikes on Reggie, and you've got to know he's going to get the super sinker. The set, here it comes. The sinker swung on and missed. Gaylord Perry staring at Jackson. Reggie is fuming at Dale Ford, and the crowd is on its feet at the kingdom. Oh, what a scene. Reggie Jackson goes down swinging. Now he takes his arms, throws his hands at Dale Ford. He can't believe it. Reggie's been ejected. Reggie Jackson has been thrown out of the game by Dale Ford. Now Jackson is all over Ford. He takes his glasses off. Lynn and Gritch are holding back Reggie. We've got quite a scene in front of the first base dugout. Now Mock is out. Here come the other umpires. Reggie Jackson, one of the strongest players in sport, is trying to get to umpire Dale Ford, who has ejected him. The other umpires are in. Some of the Angel teammates of Reggie are holding him back. Now Preston Gomez and Bobby Knopp each have an arm of Reggie Jackson. Bobby Gritch is talking to two of the umpires, and Gene Mock at home plate is nose-to-nose with Dale Ford. Now Ford is explaining to Mock why Reggie was ejected. Reggie is being forcibly taken to the sidelines by Joe Ferguson, the huge backup catcher. And Reggie goes and he storms into the dugout down the runway. And this crowd, now Reggie comes back. Here he comes. He's got a bucket. He's got a bucket of ice. And he's spreading it all over the AstroTurf. Reggie is putting on an Earl Weaver-like show. He can't believe it. As if to say, look. You're going to let him throw that super sinker, that loaded baseball. We got no chance. So Reggie Jackson has been ejected here at the Kingdom, and this huge crowd is really seeing quite a show. See you later! 